Today we are going to be uh, continuing what turned out to be a five-part study through Romans chapter 12. Uh, we've been slowly working our way over the last few weeks through verses 9 through 13. And if you remember, uh, I had mentioned before that depending on your translation, uh, you may have this section titled something like Marks of a True Christian or Love in Action or simply love, zeal, hope, hospitality. And hospitality is the, the focus for today. Uh, at first glance, you might think that hospitality seems a little out, out of place in, in conjunction with love, zeal, and hope. Um, if we were to compile an exhaustive list of Christian attributes and qualities, hospitality, uh, where, would, where would hospitality rank? Uh, where would we place it uh, compared to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control or even boldness or perseverance or truthfulness or gratefulness? Our first thought might be to rank it uh, a little bit lower down the list. When we first hear the word hospitality, we might think first of uh, you know, what we do when we have friends over, you know, take their coat and offer them a drink. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, when you think about, uh, you might think about hospitality as like a, a field of work that you work in uh, hotel services or as a flight attendant. In TV shows, we see uh, hospitality shown by like waiters and waitresses where it's not really real hospitality. They're, they're pretending to be nice to people that they actually find quite annoying. And <laughs> their hospitality is, is just a facade. True hospitality is really an amazing thing, and it's, it's, it's much bigger than what we might think at first uh, when we hear the word. It's, it's powerful. Um, in kind of a simple form, there's, there's several businesses that stand out as places that I like to go simply because of their hospitality. Um, not every ace is the helpful place as, that they're advertised as being. I, I've run into some where I, I don't want to go back there anymore. I'm, I just feel like, you know, either they don't try and help or they just aren't any help. But the, I, I found the one in River Falls especially stands out to me. It's like I, every time I go in there, there's so many knowledgeable people that just seem to, you know, not like swarm you, but, but to give you the help, to offer help and be there. And, and I just, I don't know, just the way they interact with me, I, I wish that I had more reason to go back, which I'm glad I don't. But, but, <laughs> but it's good. Um, there's a uh, McDonald's in Hastings I, I go and meet a friend with once a month, and there's a manager there that comes out, and it's kind of unusual at a McDonald's to have somebody come out and offer to refill your coffee, and it just feels welcoming. It makes it a place that I, that I want to go back to. I, I rarely go to gas stations and then, you know, and then go in to, to get something, but uh, if you've been to the new Quick Trip in River Falls, the, they have such a friendly staff. It's just... It's weird. It's like it, it jumps out at you. Normally, you'd run in and out, and you wouldn't even think about you know who you're interacting with that much. They take your money, and that's it. But they're just you know finding little ways to offer you something, or you know it's just it's just amazing what hospitality can do. I you know they're pr probably causing me to you know go and buy coffee and donuts that I wouldn't wouldn't normally get. Um, hospitality is a powerful thing because if it's genuine, it's an expression of love. And of all the different needs that people have, love is a need that is universal. Everybody wants and needs to experience love. Hospitality, true hospitality is not just serving, but it is love in action. 
So love, zeal, hope, and hospitality. Let's read this section one more time as we finish off chapter 12 today. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's our last verse. Contribute to the needs of the saint and seek to show hospitality. That's where we're at today. We're gonna look today how highly hospitality is regarded in God's word and how it is a major marker of a true Christian. The word hospitality in the Greek comes from two different words. The first one is philos and the second word is xenos. Philos is defined as a friend, someone who is loved or um, prized in a personal way, somebody you have an intimate relationship, somebody held dear in a close bond of personal affection. So I mean, we kind of know what a friend is, but they're talking about a, a close friend, um, not just a Facebook friend that you met once. And <laughs> Zenos is almost always translated as stranger, someone you do not know, okay? So friend and stranger combined. Hospitality is treating someone that you don't know as if they're a friend. Strangely enough, outside of the service industry, when we think about hospitality and how we show it in our normal day-to-day -day life, we normally think about it as when we have friends over, showing hospitality to friends. But really, it's, it's showing, friend, showing friendship to strangers. Verse 13, like I said, is our key verse today. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So there's two different exhortations there, uh, but they're very closely related. The first is caring for those who are in the family of God. These are people you probably have a relationship with. And the second is with those who are not people that we know. So the first is you know, contributing to the needs of the saints, caring for the needs of fellow believers. We see this attribute in Christianity or in the church displayed almost immediately when the church was formed in Acts. Uh, you go to Acts chapter two, verses 44 through 45. It says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Some translations say simply that they had everything in common. Now, does this mean that we should take everything that we have of value and put it in the dining hall so that anybody can take whatever they need? No, I don't, I don't think that's what it's saying. Um, what it's saying is, is it was describing that they had a desire to share what they had with those who had a need. They loved each other in a genuine way, in a way that they were willing to give sacrificially. They were willing to take their property and their possessions. If they saw somebody who had a true need, they were willing to give up what they had so they could help somebody who didn't have what was really needed. These new believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were connected in one faith and they saw each other truly as brothers and sisters in Christ. They were stirred with affection for one another and they wanted to care for one another's needs. It's, it's been a blessing 
over this last month, hasn't it? When we, we get these updates from Gordy and we hear about all these people that are donating their, their time. Um, we've had people donating their, their finances to help out uh, Jim and Pam as they're dealing with physical uh, needs and, and having their house renovated so that it can be accessible to them with uh, their new limitations. One of Gordy's updates, he, he called the help um, impressive, I think. The, you know, the way the church has come together and, and other people have been drawn in to be able to give and help. Uh, as a church together, so far we've collected about $2,000 to help pay for materials and, and the need for hired help uh, to be able to get all the work done that needs to be done to make the house able or um, accessible to, be, to make it functional for them. Also, just a couple days ago, we had uh, a bunch of the youth and, and some of the adults came together to help CW. Because he's going to be moving from one building to another and needed help moving some stuff into storage while he's in transition between apartments. And uh, it's just cool to see the people who desire to come together, give up a Friday night of relaxing so that they can help out somebody who is a family, who's a brother, sister, in CW's case, a father <laughs> in our, in our uh, relationship together as Christians. It's hard, it's hard for me to look at you and think, brother. <laughs> Much older brother. Not, you know, not to point out. <laughs> Sorry, CW. <laughs> just pull my foot out of my mouth there. All right, also... Um, it's, it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see the church coming together and helping to contribute to the needs of the saints, uh, treating each other as family. Uh, these sorts of acts of generosity and kindness are part of the fabric of what the church is supposed to be, what, it, what we're made of, of this love that permeates us, that how, that's how we're supposed to be known, is by our love, right? So it is our love in action. Verse 13 starts with this caring for fellow Christians, but then it expands from there, and then it continues to expand as we go through the rest of the chapter. So uh, it started with contributing to the needs of the saints, and then it says, seek to show hospitality. And like we said, hospitality extends beyond those that we know and love and to those that we've never met. Hospitality uh, can be shown on a Sunday morning if somebody new shows up and we welcome them, try and make them feel comfortable here. Hospitality could be shown at a grocery store just holding the door for a stranger. Uh, it could be stopping to help somebody fix a flat tire. It could be paying for somebody's gas or food if you get kind of a sense that maybe they're a little short on money. It may even be that you'll be in a hospital or in a grocery store or a Target and you see somebody who looks sad or um, somehow depressed or it looks like there's something going on in their life and, and you take a moment to just ask them how they're doing and, and, and try and see if there's any way that you can encourage them. Maybe there's some way that you can pray with them. True hospitality treats people that you don't know like you would treat a friend. We need to allow God to help us to have that kind of love for other people. That doesn't come naturally. We, we tend to be drawn and, and click to the people we know and sometimes uh, everybody else can become kind of a blur. And, and sometimes we gotta slow down and we gotta remember, God loves all of those people we're driving past and all those people we pass in the stores and, and uh, we have to have God help us be transformed so that we can love others the way he wants us to. 
to see strangers with the same caring compassion that he has for us. Back in verse 9, uh, we read uh, in the New Living Translation, it says, don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. People can tell if you are really loving them, if you're really sympathizing with them, if you're really putting yourself in their shoes and, and trying to experience what they're experience, experiencing with them, or if you're just going through the motions. This idea of being a friend to strangers, it makes me think of uh, Jesus, how he was called a friend of sinners. He didn't hesitate to, to eat and drink with those that were kind of outcasts of society. Um, they, weren't, they weren't just his friends, they were people that he met as he traveled around. Uh, even people who had leprosy, he wasn't afraid to go and lay his hand on to touch somebody who felt unloved and rejected by society. He saw those in need and he acted as a friend to them. He didn't treat them as a stranger, he treated them as a friend. Hospitality is a key marker of what it is to be a true Christian. Uh, it's listed in both 1 Timothy and Titus as one of the qualifications of being a leader, an elder, or an overseer in the church. Overseers in the church are supposed to be hospitable. They, they're supposed to be friendly to strangers. And hospitality is not just, it's not just about acting nice or being polite. It's our willingness to put the love of God that's been put in us and put it to action and show it to those around us. It's so significant that that people who aren't doing that shouldn't be considered to be somebody who would place, be placed in a position to be an example for however the other people should live. So the leaders in the church are meant to be examples of, of putting love in action. Um, hospitality is an outward demonstration and a mark of a true Christian, so much so that Jesus used it as an example to demonstrate who was going to make it into the kingdom of heaven and who was not. When we look at uh, Matthew, verse 25, verses 31 through 40, we're just going to kind of read half the story here, but it says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. And I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Think about it. When Jesus was explaining to those on his right why they were to inherit the kingdom of God and those on the left why they were being sent to eternal fire, Jesus tells of their actions, of their hospitality that should be evident in the lives of his sheep. Should be evident 
that we're meeting the needs of strangers and not being too proud to associate with the, lo- the lowly. It's, it's such a clear picture of what James wrote when he said that faith without works is dead. If you say you have faith, but it's not shown by your works, what good is that kind of faith? Hospitality is huge. It displays that we are children of God. It is the love of God displayed through us regardless of whether the person is friend, family, or even foe. When we look at the next verse, we go to Romans uh, 12, 14. It says, bless those who persecute you and do not curse. So we started off with this idea of, of caring for saints and then caring for strangers and now even our enemies. Like I said, it just keeps on expanding this, this idea of loving and caring for other people. But how do we do this? How, how are we going to be able <laughs> to show hospitality, to, to, to treat your enemies like friends, really, is what is, we're going to bless them and not curse them, the people who are persecuting us. We may think that uh, maybe Jesus could do it because... I mean, he's God, so that's a little different. You know, we're, we're not God. You know, he may have been able to go and look at those who were hanging him on the cross, who were his enemies, and look at them with love and forgive them, but we're just humans, right? Well, we are humans, but we're not just humans. We have been made children of God. We've been made one with God, and the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus, is living in us and he wants to guide us. He wants to cause this love in us to uh, be fervent in us, to boil over, to bubble over, to, to spill out on the people around us. But we have to have our minds transformed. Uh, we have to be willing to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, to give up our so-called rights and present ourselves as, as a life that's holy and acceptable to God. That's what we read back in verse one. And what kind of life is it that God finds acceptable? What, what is acceptable to God? And it's a life that's modeled after Jesus. Um, Scott talked about that today. What kind of life is acceptable to God? If we turn to Philippians uh, chapter two, verses three through eight, it says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, don't or sorry, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in others too. We must have, here it is, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Think about that. Though he was God, he was holy. He, he, he is holy. He's, he's blameless. He he. He's not coming from the same place we are. Like he's putting aside being free and separate from all of the chaos and, and all of the mistakes. We're, we're really on level playing field with the rest of the world. We all have sin. We all have, have fallen. Um, but God, though he was God, laid down, didn't count his own equality with God as something to cling to. We're, act, we're asked to, to let go of a lot less. We have a lot less to be proud of or to, to, to cling to. Um, but he... He didn't hold equality to God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of slave and was born as a human being. That is the attitude that he had. 
And um, finishing off, it says, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we we willing to lay down? I mean, Jesus wasn't doing this for people that had earned his love. You know, we talk about loving strangers and now we're talking about even loving enemies. I mean, he was doing it for both. I mean, and, and for people who were considered his friends, but he was, he was laying down his life for those who were even his enemies, sacrificing for them. That's the attitude that we should have, sacrificial love for others. We have not only been saved, but we have been made and continue to be made into a new creation. We have a new spiritual DNA in us. It seems incredible to think of a human displaying that kind of love because we have this old nature in us that we're battling. But, but as we grow in faith, as we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in our lives, we die to those things and we become more and more like Christ. We, we, we work to daily um, surrender to him and allow the Holy Spirit to make us more like him. We have not only been saved, we've been made into a new creation. Uh, we're not only human, we have a spiritual DNA in us. Uh, but he's not gonna force us to change. He doesn't, he doesn't make us change. That's why when we read back in verse one, it, it reads as an exhortation. Um, it's, it, it, he starts off saying, I, I make this appeal to you. He's appealing to us that we would choose to let our lives be transformed. Um, that we would allow him to change us, to let us not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It was, it's, a, it's a decision that we have to make. And if we're going to be able to love like he loved, if we're going to be able to bless those who persecute us, we need to allow him to change us so that, and, and not just change us, but then to even sustain that change. You know, those pressures from the outside continue to want to mold us. So if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit on the inside to shape us from the inside, we're gonna be molded from the outside. So it's not just about transform, but it's, it's sustaining what God has already worked in us so that we can continue to act and love the way that he has caused us to love. We, we, we don't reach a point where we can just coast. Coasting is being conformed again to the world. You just can't coast. Care for the saints, treat strangers as friends, and bless those who persecute you. Let's continue reading in Romans uh, in verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Oftentimes, I think we focus on that second part. We think of um, when we're, we're helping people, we think of people who are, are sad or dis, in desperate situations. Um, hospitality, though, is not just weeping with those who weep, it's also rejoicing with those who rejoice. Uh, I had a, um, an instant one time where I, it was my birthday uh, back when I was younger and I was uh, commuting up to Rice Lake uh, for Bible school and, and I got up there and it was a snowy day and sometime during the, the long commute, from home to Rice Lake through bad roads, they canceled school. And so I was looking forward to, you know, on my birthday, hanging out with some friends that I had class with, but I got up there and classes 
you know, canceled. And so I find myself sitting at a restaurant by myself on my birthday, which I know sad me, but <laughs> it wouldn't really, it wouldn't really bother me so much today. But when you're 20 something, it felt like kind of a big deal. And I just, I didn't need any money. I didn't need any help. I just wanted somebody to celebrate with me. And so, um, sometimes being hospital, being hospitable, showing hospitality is rejoicing with somebody, to, to, to just being happy with somebody uh, as they celebrate something. Um, but to truly rejoice with somebody, you have to understand or you have to put yourself in their shoes and be excited for why they're excited. Uh, if you're, same is true if you're going to weep or, or be, if you're going to be sorrowful with somebody, if you're going to grieve with them, you have to feel their situation. You have to put yourself in their shoes and, and, and hurt with them. When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, it said that he wept. Now, he wasn't crying because Lazarus was dead. He knew that he, in a few minutes he was going to raise him back to life. He wept because those that he loved and cared for were experiencing heartache, and he experienced it with them because he loved them. It was an act of showing his love. John uh, chapter 11 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then in verse 35 it says, he wept. He experienced their pain with them to show them that he loved them. If we look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse three, it says, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. We, uh, we are part of one body, and when one part of the body hurts, we surround and comfort it. If you've ever uh, hit your thumb with a hammer, I mean, you have hit your thumb with a hammer, you're, 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 I mean, if, if you hit it good, the first thing you do is both hands drop the nail and the hammer and you grab that thumb. And you, you know um, that, that is, that's the immediate response of your body. The rest of your body doesn't keep on moving as if uh, nothing happened. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, keep on moving as if there's no pain in, its, in, in your body. It stops and it focuses on doing whatever it can to alleviate that pain. That is the heart of true hospitality, to care for others as if you are experiencing what they're experiencing. That's the heart of hospitality, to care for others as if you're experiencing what they are experiencing. We're going to move on to verse 16. I'm going to ask the worship team to make its way up. Verse 16 through 18 says, Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Oh, I have to say, I... Um, I like that last part there where it says live peaceably uh, or as much as it, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. It's not that I'm looking for a loophole, uh, though that's kind of human nature to look for a loophole, but it's good for us to remember that it doesn't fully depend on us. Um, 
even if we put on the mind of Christ, even if we're humble, even if we stop to put ourselves in the other person's position and consider uh, their perspective, we may not be able to live at peace with all men. I, I mentioned a, a guy that I worked with uh, before, um, and uh, he was just somebody that I just always butted heads with. I, 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 we couldn't seem to get along. I, I tried to be friends with him, but there was something that he didn't like about me, and I'm not exactly sure what it was. <laughs> and, and so um, it seemed like even if I tried to walk on you know, eggshells, and if I had a question for him, I try and ask it as gently as I can, somehow it would always turn out in him being angry about it or, or uh, somehow insulting me for uh, even considering such a stupid thing, you know, that I, <laughs> that I would think this. Uh, but, but he, he was just somebody that, as much as I tried, I, I just, we couldn't really live at peace together with. Um, it got a little bit better uh, towards the end. I, I kept on trying to extend him grace and um, trying not to hold on to, to the attacks, but it, um, but it never got really great. And, it, and it's a hard being in a situation like that. When somebody is kind of firing at you, you have a desire to want to fire back, right? Um, it's probably why this is followed by verse 19, which says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We need to try and hold back our natural instincts. If we try to avenge ourselves, it is likely to only make the problem worse. With the guy that I worked with, I wasn't always perfect. There are times that my initial reaction uh, escalated rather than de-escalated the problem. If we are not careful, uh, quick wit can be repurposed to make uh, pointed retorts. So what are we supposed to do instead of avenging ourselves? It says that we're supposed to love them anyway. Not in a whisper in our heads, but we're actually supposed to love them with actions, love them with hospitality. If you look at what comes next, it says in verse 20 through 21, it says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. More acts of hospitality. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I always thought that was a weird verse, how doing good would be heaping coals of fire on your enemy's head. But I figured if it's a God-approved way of getting back at somebody, I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> heaping coals of fire on somebody's head is an expression uh, that they will feel shame or they're going to feel remorse as they feel or experience your kindness being shown to them. That, that when you love them, they are going to feel sorry for what they did. Showing hospitality to an enemy is not meant to be a backhanded way of getting back at them. That would be the opposite of what we read in verse 19 where it says, do not avenge yourselves. So it's good to read these things in context or... You'd be out there, you know, viciously giving people food and drinks. Uh, blessing your enemy with acts of hospitality is not an expression. Um, act, blessing your enemies with hospitality is not actually an act of hospitality if it's not an expression of God's love. 
Our desire is not the pain and shame of remorse. That's, that's not our goal. Even though that's one of the results, that's not our goal in what would happen. Our goal is that a friendship would be rekindled or kindled if it was never there. Um, and that they would find repentance in their heart and that they would avoid the vengeance of the Lord. That they would not suffer those consequences. We all deserve God's wrath. And so we don't desire anybody to have to experience that. We know that there is forgiveness and grace for that. And because we have received it, we want that even for our enemies, that we know that their hearts can be changed and God can make them new again. Our heart matters. Our motives matter. If we're going to show hospitality to our enemies, it must be an expression of the love that we've experienced of God. We've experienced God loving a stranger, essentially. I mean, we didn't know him. He loved us before we knew him, before we were honoring him, before we loved him, he first loved us. So to pull all this together into three points, a little recap. Love and continue to be ready to meet the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love and strive to treat strangers as if they are your friends. And love your enemies and bless those who persecute you, uh, hoping that they will not experience the wrath of God. We don't have to get back at them. If they, if, if they deserve punishment, God will punish them. Or if they turn to him, he will forgive them and he will make them whole again and he will change them so they're no longer your enemy but are now your brother and sister in Christ whom you love because they're family. So... We love our friends, we love strangers, and we even love our enemies with the help of the Holy Spirit changing us and renewing us and giving us what is impossible really on our own. Amen? Lord, I just, I thank you that uh, you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, that you've given us uh, the tool of hospitality to use to be a light into the world, to be a, a healing balm or ointment to those who are hurting and in need, that we can express your love for others through our acts of kindness for them. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to have hearts that are soft, to feel what other people are feeling, to um, put ourselves in others' shoes, to not have a, a hardness of, of how I would deal with it if I were them, but to have a softness to, to recognize the pain that they're feeling and that they, they come from a different place than we do and, and that they're hurting and, and uh, offer them the support and love that you have offered us as you've strengthened us and you have um, given us the ability to walk with hope through times of trouble and persecution, Lord. Help us to offer that kind of love where we can encourage those who are suffering through trials with that kind of hope, that there is a God who loves them and that there is victory at the end of the storm. Lord, I pray that you'd give us hearts to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, that we wouldn't have hearts of, of jealousy or envy, Lord, but that we would be excited for those who are being blessed and who are experiencing um, joy, whether it's a, a new grandchild or it's a promotion at work or if it's just a birthday. 
Lord, we just pray that you would give us hearts to celebrate and let, um, let people know that they were loved, that we can fill um, not just physical needs, Lord, but we can also fill that need of love that each one of us needs and desires. We thank you uh, that you are our guide and our strength in all of this and that you are shaping and transforming us and making us more and more into your image. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Closing with a familiar passage in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It does not, it is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Go allowing a God kind of love to live in you and through you and be bubbled up in a, in a fervent way in you as we go out and, and show that love here among the saints, out to the strangers in the world, and even to those who persecute you. Amen.